me try to relay a little story to you that something that happened to me. Um, a few years ago, I had a supervisor who specifically told me, he said, I want that shipment on that truck. Now, at the time, I was working for Roadway Express. I think they'd been bought by Yellow Trucking. I don't know who owns them now. So, you know, the Roadway facility that used to be, or still is, I guess, in Turnersville. Uh, that's where I was working on the docks there. And my job was to strip the trucks down and distribute it out to the, the right places. It, just, it wasn't very thankful work, but it was. I enjoyed having to work. Glad I had it. And glad to have moved on from there, by the way. Uh, but that said, at that particular moment, I had been working on those docks for a few months. And I knew one of the things they taught you pretty much out of the gate was, as somebody who was supposed to strip those trucks and then load those trucks, is the most important thing is what's on the manifest of that particular shipment. What does it say? Where does it say it's going? And the manifest of that truck saying, where is it going? You want those things to match up, you see. You want those things to match up. That's the most important thing. And I had not been there that long. I'd been there a few months. I'd finally gotten on. I was... Uh, in the union, so I was I was a legitimate employee and all those kind of things. And so I'd learned a few things, and one thing I knew was that shipment was not supposed to go on that truck. They didn't match. They didn't tell me. They told me that they didn't match. But the boss man said, that's where it goes. And I said, no, it says it's not. And he said, no, it does. You put it right there. You do it. Do it what I said. And I said, yes, sir. Because my mom and daddy taught me to say yes, sir, and to do the right thing. That's what I did. So I did it. The problem was I complied with the, the supervisor only to be written up a few weeks later for putting the wrong shipment on the wrong truck. My one and only time I got written up was because I did exactly what the boss man told me to do. You see, the problem was you have to, and this is a lesson I, I think I'm still trying to learn, but this was definitely one lesson in a long series of curriculum on this subject that says you've got to be careful who you trust. You've got to be careful what you trust. You, sometimes your gut tells you one thing and the internet tells you something else. And sometimes your mama tells you something else altogether. And sometimes your wife says something else. Or the, the guy on the news tells you something else. Or your boss man tells you something else. So you've got to be careful who you trust. And the Corinthian church was having this kind of a trusting problem. They were trusting in the wrong things. They were following after the prevailing culture of their time. There were some things that were going on in their culture, and they were following after that. That's what their culture said they should do. They were putting stock in leaders. We talked about this last week. They were putting stock in leaders. They were putting stock in their own agendas. They were putting stock in religious rituals. They were following after a bunch of things. And Paul told them up in verse 13, he says, you're dividing up Christ by doing this. You're tearing Jesus apart and putting him in places he doesn't deserve to be put. And in so doing, he says in verse 17, right before our text, he says, you're muting, you're, de- you're, you're destroying, you're taking the, the power and the impact of the gospel. And he says there in the King James, you're making it of none effect. And all because their trust was in the wrong thing. So in these verses that I'm about to read to you, chapter 1 and verse 18, to chapter 1 and verse 25, he's giving them a contrast between what they should trust, the cross, and what they are trusting, worldly wisdom, worldly power. That's what he's contrasting here, trying to get their trust pointed in the right direction. Would you follow along with me? If you're able to stand, I'd love this if you could stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the Lord's Word. 
We begin in chapter 1 and verse 18. We read down to chapter, 20, uh, chapter 1 and verse 25. Scripture says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified under the Jews a stumbling block and under the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jew and Greek, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than man, and the weakness of God is stronger than man. Would you pray with me, please? Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the truth that is here. Thank you for the transforming power of the gospel. Now, Lord, as we talk to these folks about these passages, would you please empower me through the Holy Spirit. Allow me to be correct and accurate in what I say, but allow the words that I use to, most importantly, find their home in the hearts of men and women that are here, so that where there is change that needs to happen, God, would your Holy Spirit accept that change. Make this time not only worshipful, but also transformational. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You all can be seated. I think uh, the call on my life as a preacher of the gospel is one that, I, I don't know how unique it is, but it's one that has become very clear to me in my time as uh, one behind the pulpit. I have seen up close and personal what I call Christ, uh, cultural Christianity. Because I was born into a Christian home, I was raised in a Christian home, and not just in a home where mom and daddy said Jesus is God, but in a home where I was actually forced to go to church all the time. We had all week revivals and all that good stuff going on. I had was, I mean, the church and the gospel and the preaching was just, it was all over everything about my life. And in, in that kind of environment, because it's so much a part of who I am, I can become a cultural Christian, meaning I believe what I believe just because that's what I believe. It's not doesn't really mean anything. There's no real power to what I believe. It's just the background noise. It's just the thing. It's just the thing. You know the words. You know the things to say. But I believe that God has called me to be a bit of a prophetic voice crying in the wilderness, as it were, against that kind of Christianity. Against cultural Christianity. And I believe God gives His people specific moments in specific moments, He gives them specific voices, and I believe this might be one of the things that God has called me to do, and I'm going to do the best I can to do that. But it's important to, uh, for us to understand we cannot and we must not do what people like me want to do. People like me being, I've raised in Christianity, I, this is just who I am. You know what I want to do when I go out into the world? I want to candy coat my Christianity. I, I want to make it so that there's this veneer of acceptability to what I believe. I don't know about you, but they're kind of workplace that I tend to go into. They're not mean people. They're not hateful people. They're not even all that wicked, as you might want to say that necessarily. But they don't believe in Jesus as the way to heaven. 
In fact, the kind of stuff that I say I believe, they kind of think is stupid. I will tell you, this is a small example of that. I'll stay here, stand here and loudly and proudly say that I believe that God Almighty created the world from nothing. He did that about six to 10,000 years ago. And He did so of His own power, by the power of His voice, that everything that we see is existent. Now, some of y'all may or may not agree with me, but I'll just tell you that when I say that out in the world, they look at me like i got five heads. I'm just telling you, it's strange what we believe. And what I want to do as a cultural Christian, because this is what I like, I want to go out to the world and I want to candy coat it. I want to put that veneer of acceptability on it. But instead, what, what I want you to do, and I want to try to get you to see in this passage here, is we have got to look in the eye, our Christianity, our Savior, for what it is, for who it is, and let me just tell you what, what we believe, if you believe what the Bible says, it's wow. It is, it, 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 it is far from pain. It is very real. It is very raw. It, it, it is very powerful. But when you get to the point where you look at it for what it is, you accept it for what it is, it will change your life. Which is why Paul says here at the beginning in verse 18, he says, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. He's saying, I believe, and I'll agree with Paul, the only way that we have salvation is because Jesus Christ died on the cross, shed His blood for my sin. And I say amen to that. Now, I want you to understand what I just said, though. I say amen. But do you know what I just said? I said that there is, an, there is a divine, eternal, holy God who started this whole thing. I'm saying that man who He created sinned and deserves punishment. And not just a slap on the wrist, but eternity in a place called hell. And I believe that that Creator God became a man who was divine, but He became a man. And He walked among us. And that that Creator God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that that Father put the punishment that was deserved on mankind, put it on His Son on the cross. And I believe that that involved a whole lot of pain, a whole lot of death, a whole lot of blood, a whole lot of pain. And I believe, I'm not done, if that ain't crazy enough, I believe that man that I call God, that I call Jesus, that was absolutely dead, had shed his blood, meaning he bled out, he had nothing left, he was dead. I believe he got up out of the grave three days later, in victory over death, hell, and the grave. I believe He did that. And I believe, by the way, we're not done. I believe that when He got up, He went back up into heaven and that He's right there right now seated on the right hand of God, ruling and reigning this world and taking His time doing exactly what He planned to do and He's going to come back one day. Now, I, I, as, I, as it were, I'm preaching to the choir. But I want you to think about what I just said. Think about that. I'm not only saying that that happened, I'm furthermore believing what Jesus said in John 14, 6, that He is the only way, the only truth, the only life, that apart from that story that I told you in brief, there is no hope. Now let me just be honest about it. I want you to be honest with me about it. What I just said, as much as I say, amen, I believe it, it's upside down, backwards, and crazy. If I were to come up here and tell you that story and you've never heard it before, you would say, who are you, man? What are you talking about? 
that doesn't make sense. I want you to know that if your response to that is, that don't sound right, even politely, maybe there's a better way, which is what this world says. You know what that's called? That's called normal. That's called regular. That's called the way that most people have to respond. But it also puts you in the category, he says in verse 18, that it is foolishness unto them that perish. You are in the category of those that are perishing. You're, that's your normal response, but you are going to suffer death and damnation. But what I just said sounds weird, doesn't it? At least it should. A little bit. But if you're among those, like I am, and I hope, and I heard a few of you saying amen and all that, then you're the one that says, I believe in that. I trust in that story, that truth, exclusively as my hope for heaven. Then, I want you to tell, I want to tell you, I'm on the authority of God's Word. You're foolish. However, he says in verse 18, that unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. You're foolish. But you're saved by the power of God. I want you to first see that the message of the cross is a foolish message to this world. But I'm trying to encourage you by telling you that, that we have got to quit rationalizing, sanitizing, and commercializing Jesus Christ. We've got to quit trying to make Him safe, make Him normal, to make Him acceptable. In fact, to do those things literally takes away the power of the gospel. He just becomes another Mahatma Gandhi, another Buddha, another thing in this world that's a nice sort of bland whatever that does whatever people want him to do for them. He's not the God who can save them. I want you to understand that we are never, ever, ever going to convince folks that what I just said is true. That's what God does. He convinces, we proclaim. I'm never going to make that popular. Never. That's what God's job does. When Jesus comes to rule and reign in that millennial kingdom, everybody's going to worship Jesus then. There ain't going to be any choice. But right now, I can't try to make this a popular religion. And I'm definitely not going to help them by leading them down another path. Please understand that the church has never, the church of Jesus Christ, the true church of Jesus Christ, has never, ever won the affection, the love of this world. If we are truly preaching what we're supposed to preach, it is going to be offensive. It is going to turn people away. It's going to be people say, look at that, that feels stupid. That feels, that feels foolish. The only time that the church has ever been loved, if you will, is when we preach a message that makes them feel happy and good with their sin. Whenever we preach a message that is supportive of slavery, as it was in a few hundred years ago in this country, or supportive of racism, supportive of Republican ideals, or supportive of liberal denials of Scripture, when we say, everybody's okay because I want to like you and love you, Please understand that we are preaching a gospel that they're going to love. They're going to love it. That's not going to happen. We're sending them down the wrong path. You've got to get comfortable sharing the foolish message, friends. It's not your best life now. The church today, too many in the church today, if we get acceptance, it's because we either believe in, or rather preach a gospel that says everybody's okay. Or we preach a gospel that says, if you believe the way we believe, God's going to bless you with financial gifts. 
both of those are foolish. We have to follow after the foolish message of the cross, and it's not name it and claim it. It's not God accepts you just as you are. He does love you, but He changes you. It's not I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay. The message of the cross is Jesus is God. And Jesus died for every person. And that Jesus is the only Savior sinners need. That's the message we've got to get comfortable preaching to. But not only is the message of the cross a foolish message, it is also an eternal plan. I want you to see this in verse 19. We move on. He says there in verse 19, For it is written that I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. He says here that this is something that has been written down. He is actually quoting from Isaiah chapter 29. I believe it's verse 13 through 16 there in that passage if you wanted to look that for yourself. But he's pointing back to that. And the reason I emphasize that is because this is not, this message of the cross, it's not plan B. It's not a new religion. This is something that God has been talking about for quite a while now. I just pointed you around a tall bit back to Isaiah, which is in the Old Testament. But actually, this thing goes even further back to that than that. Peter says in first twenty, first rather, Peter says in First Peter chapter one and verse twenty, speaking of Christ, that He was foreordained before the foundation of the world that was manifest in these last times for you. That Jesus Christ coming and dying on the cross was not just something that God said, "Well, there we the plan didn't work. Let's try this one out." No, this was God's plan. From the beginning, this was God's plan, and He knew. God's not stupid, y'all understand this. He knew that the world would look at that and say, that don't make any sense. He knew that, and He chose to do this. But you have to see that He planned to do this from the beginning, verse 19. So He says in verse 20, well, can't you see that your way's not working? Where's the wise? Can you, can you look around and see what we call wise men today? People who have got all the answers to all the questions. Have they not failed us? I'll say that they failed us. Even if you don't. They serve themselves. They've got the answers. They're the smart people and they serve themselves. He says, where's the scribe? Where's the, the religious people? And let me just tell you, the religious structures of this world have failed us. All the way from the Catholic Church to the local Baptist churches have failed us. Why have they failed us? Because people have cared more about their religion than the Jesus they follow. I can tell you, if I were to take a survey right now and ask you who in this church has been hurt by somebody in the church, whether it's the leadership on down to somebody in the pew, and I bet you every hand in this church would go up, and if they wasn't, it's because y'all are lying. Why is that? Because religious people fail us. Religious people fail us. He goes on to say that the, where is the disputer of this world, the educated men, those people who are willing to debate and philosophize about everything, they have failed us. Because you know what? They're missing the stuff that really matters. They're sitting over there debating stuff that really doesn't matter one way or the other, and they have failed us. Why is that? Look at the last phrase in verse 20. Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? The reason that this is going on is because this was God's plan from the beginning that His way is always going to beat everybody else's way. He wants us to see that. And in fact, in His simplicity, yet foolish from a human perspective, 
it makes a way for us to see God. Look at verse 20. He says, after that, in the wisdom of God, the world, by wisdom, knew not God. We couldn't configure it out. We couldn't mathematics ourselves out of it. We couldn't read ourselves out of it. We couldn't educate ourselves out of it. We couldn't do it, philosophize ourselves out of it. We couldn't find our way to God. But he says, after that, in the wisdom of God, they could not knew God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. He's saying, listen, we couldn't figure this thing out on our own. We would never know truth. We would never know peace. We would never know hope. We would never know love on our own. And we tried, do we not? Do we not try? But God gave us the cross and His message of the cross. This was always His plan. It was in His wisdom that He did this. I want y'all to ask you yourself this question. Have you not learned this yet? Don't you hear what God is saying? Do you hear? Are, are, are you listening? Do you hear what God's saying? Do you hear what He's saying? Uh, can, can I just pointedly tell you? You teach this. I know you do. You teach little children. You teach adults. You talk to each other about this thing. You believe what I'm saying here. I'm not trying to correct bad theology. I'm saying that we believe this. But I want you to know that we say we believe it, we say we teach it, but do we really believe it? I'm talking about in practice. Not necessarily our theology, but what do we do? Let me just tell you this way. Your family, your community, your nation is never going to be fixed by more and better education. And I believe in education. But that's not going to be the resolve for this, for your family or for this nation. That's not the resolution. You're not going to, your, your children are not going to have better lives because they have better and more fulfilling jobs. The stuff that you have, the houses, the boats, the cars, the vacations, the retirement plans, those things are not what you need. That's what this world has been trying for years and years in America, we're sitting on the pinnacle of effort to that extent. The fame and the recognition of sport and entertainment is not going to be what solves it. We don't need a little Jesus with our American dream. The message of the cross is that the only hope that God has ever given from the beginning of time, the only hope that God has ever given from the beginning of time is that Jesus died on the cross save us from our sins. We dare not ignore that. We dare not replace that. And we dare not supplement that with anything. That's God's plan for what fails us. Go with me to verse 22, please. He says, For the Jew requires sign, and the Greek is after wisdom. Now this section here, if I put a title on this, it's the message of the cross involves divine power. It is the divine power. See, what we do, though, is we keep speaking after our things. The Jews, they want a sign. That big signs and wonders. Big writing in the sky that this is the right answer. This is what they're looking for. For us today, we're looking for those big things. Roe versus Wade, the abortion, the landmark abortion decision. We like to see, which most of us who believe that that is uh, something that begins, that life begins at conception, that that is uh, an affront. God's law to kill those babies in the womb. We'd like to see that overturned. I'd love to see that overturned. But that's the kind of big sign and wonder we want. 
Then maybe, maybe that's the answer. God will just overturn Roe v. Wade. That's the answer. Or, or we like to see, don't you love it when some major sports figure, um, oh goodness, well, I'm a blanking on that guy's name, uh, that fellow, Tim Tebow. We love Tim Tebow. Comes out and talks about Jesus. And don't get me wrong, I, I'm grateful for anybody that names Jesus' name, but that's not the sign and wonder that we need is some big sports hero or big movie star to say Jesus is the answer. We like to hear political figures talk about God, don't we? Especially politicians that, we, that, like, their, that like our politics. We, we like that. That feels good. That's the big signs and wonders that we need or we want, we say. And he says, that's not going to work. He says the Greeks require, or seek after wisdom. They're looking for science and logic and rhetoric and eloquence. What we like is regional and national acceptance and recognition. We like, I, I like it when the biblical accounts, don't you like it when the biblical accounts are verified by science? Ooh, isn't that amazing? That's what tells me it's true. We like it when Christian music is praise, or maybe even played on secular radio stations. Yes, that means the message is getting out there. But I want you to see that that's our thing. That's our thing. That's what we look for, signs and wonders and secular uh, 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 affirmation of what we're doing. But that's not what God's thing is. In fact, our thing and God's thing are always going to be in conflict. This is in verse 23. He says, we preach Christ crucified. Those two words, I think you would agree with it. We preach Christ crucified, but those two words are what's called in English an oxymoron. You know what an oxymoron is? It's like government intelligence. Something that doesn't fit together. Two things that don't fit together. We're talking about Christ. The promise, victorious, ruling Messiah. Crucified, defeated, mutilated, weak, bleeding, dying. Those two things don't go together. Christ crucified. In fact, the Jews would go back to Deuteronomy chapter 21 and say that he that hangs on a tree is a curse by God. They would actually see if somebody is nailed to a cross, he clearly is not the Messiah. He's clearly not the one. Because what Paul's saying here, what we preach, Christ crucified, it just can't be. You know, be more wrong. That's why the Jews see that as a stumbling block. They're looking for a sign, but Jesus crucified, that ain't the sign. That doesn't match up. It's a stumbling block. It's scandalous. It trips them up. In fact, what you have to understand about the cross is to accept the cross is to reject every other thing that makes sense to the human mind. Because if you make sense of the human mind, you clearly have to reject the cross. Because it's an oxymoron. Christ crucified. Now, if I'm not making you just a little bit uncomfortable by attacking Christianity directly, you're not listening to what I'm saying. I'm trying to make you see that what you believe, if you believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven, it's not normal. It's not regular. It's not human wisdom that reveals that to you. Because I want you to see it as a stumbling block. It is a scandal. It will trip you up. It is to the Greek foolishness. It's odd. It's ignorance. It's madness. Accepting the cross is to identify yourself with something that, from the human world's perspective, doesn't make sense. 
get verse 24, but unto them which are called, both the Jews and the Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. God's throne is available to all people. He says both Jew and Greek. Now in that world, especially the people that he would have been talking to, he's essentially talking about the two big groups of the world. The Jew would have been the religious people that they would have known as people who followed the Old Testament, what we know as the Old Testament. And the Greek, which while certainly has an ethnicity involved with it, what's suggested there is really everybody else. It's not a Jew. That's what he's talking about. And I want you to understand that what he is suggesting to our ears today that God's thing is available to all races, all ethnicities, all religions, all sexual and gender identities, all reputations, all financial account sizes. It is something that is available to all of these things, all of these people, the cross. Christ crucified changes and challenges everything. That's God's power to save anyone, and it's God's wisdom to do it this way. The message of the cross, as he says in verse 25, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. God's strength, Jesus crucified. It does what the wisdom of this world, the efforts of this world, the hope of this world, the desires of this world can never, ever, ever accomplish. But you have to fully trust that divine power. Because this is really God's plan for everything that's wrong in this world. And you can think of some stuff. I guarantee you all can think of some stuff that's wrong in this world. Whatever it is that's in your mind that's wrong with this world, you know what the answer to that is? Christ crucified. And they come clear here. This is not a one, two, three, repeat after me. I believe in Jesus. Now go on about the rest of my life. No, no, no. That, that's gotten us down the wrong path. Kind of that kind of stuff has gotten us going down the wrong path. The right answer to this is: I believe in the radical, radical truth of Jesus Christ, which means I am submitting to die. Now that's something that scares people off. Because Jesus intended it that way. Remember what Jesus said when, I think it's John 6, he said to those people, he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. Those were his words. And people said, what's wrong with him? What he's trying to tell us is, listen, what I'm offering here is not, not candy, it's not sweetness, it's not kindness, it is something that is real and wrong. You have to be willing to die and you have to live following after Jesus. That's what he's offering. It is Christ crucified. I am closing. But my, my, my urging to you is that we must fully, fully trust this message of the cross. This is not something you can be half in and half out on. This is not something you can give mental assent to and live any which way you want to. This has got to be full trust, full submission. You see, the true gospel is never going to be acceptable, but it will always be possible. The true gospel will never reflect the world around us, but it will always transform the world around us. The true gospel will never satisfy the, the critic. Uh, it, won't even, it won't even satisfy them. It will actually condemn them. But it will always be effective to help all people everywhere, no matter what they believe, no matter what kind of life they live, it will change and it will help them. 
the true gospel will never fit into your worldview, the way you see the world around you. But it will always conform you to the image of Jesus. That's what the gospel is. My invitation to you is will you fully trust the message of the gospel? And I ask you to stand. We're going to have a moment of invitation. The praise is going to play on the piano for just a moment. We're not going to belabor this. I, I think it's a pretty simple, at least I hope it's a pretty simple call to action here. Trust Jesus. Trust Jesus. Will you trust the message of the cross for your eternal soul? Will you do that? Will you trust the message of the cross? Some of you need to respond in faith to this message because you know this message, you've heard this message before, but you've never really trusted in Jesus as your Savior. And you might be a little embarrassed to admit that because you might even say, well, I've been in Sunday school, I've come to church, I might even be on the membership roll, I don't know where, where you are, but I want you to know that if you've never looked at the truth of the gospel full and square in the face and said, I believe that as odd and as strange and as unusual as it is, but I believe that and nothing else will save me but what Jesus did for me. If you've never done that, you need to do that. I want to invite you to come. Please, please come. Please come. Please do not leave here without talking to somebody and saying, I need some help to see what you're talking about, to understand this. Walk with me, talk with me, pray with me. Whatever that takes, I want you to come. I'm begging you to come, please. Come now, come after the service, but come, just come. There are others of you that, in the church that want to see this community come to know Jesus. You want to see the young people that we have a, a few of them here this morning sitting on these front rows. Uh, you want to see them stay in this church and, and grow to love Jesus just like you do. We want, we want to see our church grow. We want to see our families flourish. We want to see those kinds of things. There's only one answer that's going to solve that. It's not better programming. It's not more money. It's not smarter preachers. It's none of those things. It's one thing, and it's Christ crucified. We've got to get a hold of that. And some of y'all need to repent of trying every other thing under the sun and say, God, forgive me for that. I want to trust in Jesus, and I want that for my family. I want Him for my community. Won't y'all come? Won't y'all come?